Last week we ventured into the fourth chapter of 1 John, but we started with 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, which says that God has given to us the Holy Spirit. And this is the means by which God abides in us and with us. We paused there for a moment last week and talked about the fact that Christianity is a spiritual faith. Amen? Because every Christian is baptized by God the Holy Spirit. I quoted John Stott. It's going to come up here on the screen. John Stott said, The Christian life is life in the Spirit. It would be impossible to be a Christian, let alone to live and grow as a Christian, without the ministry of the gracious Spirit of God. But moving forward today, what we see now is laid out plainly before us. Now that we have the Spirit of God, have been baptized by the Spirit of God, now that we have been justified, sanctified, and initiated into the body of Christ by God the Holy Spirit, we aren't to be duped by any other spirit. We aren't to believe or follow any other spirit. John commands us to, and I quote, test the spirits. Church, the most difficult fight to win is the fight in which you do not know you are engaged. Or to put it in the negative, the easiest fight to lose is a fight in which you do not know you are engaged. We are sometimes lulled to sleep, you and I, by the enemy who has told us to rest in the bosom of simple sugars and carbohydrates and television and couches and hobbies. And it's distracted us from biblical manhood, from biblical womanhood, from our marriages, which are second only to God, from parenthood, and to the closeness and the intimacy with which we should be living our lives to Jesus Christ. Because we cannot trade that for any of the so-called joys that the world is selling us. But still, we often fail here because we don't see that we are engaged in a fight. And furthermore, there are many who are in situations today that are little more than the result of their ignorance. I didn't say stupidity. I said ignorance. They ignored the spiritual warfare. They ignored the enemy's wooing. They ignored the temptations and the testing. They ignored the convictions of God's spirit. And today, they're beaten, bruised, and broken because they neglected to recognize this fact. To be a spirit-baptized Christian means to live this life as a warrior. It means to live within a fight for holiness and the sharpness of mind. It means to fight for God's glory and for Jesus' honor. It means to fight for Christian conviction. How do I know this? Two simple points. 1 John chapter 4. 
the test and the proof. That's what we're going to look at today, the test and the proof. Let's take it one step at a time, the first being the test. Let's begin at the start. John says, beloved, we might say loved ones. It's a term of endearment, maybe even a word that he's using to disarm those whom he loves so that they will more readily receive the word that he needs to drop. Sometimes we'll say something like that. I think John might be doing that here. Beloved, loved ones, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. A couple of things that I want you to note here. First, the negative command. Do not believe every spirit. This is something you and I have to come to terms with as Christians. The Lord himself has called us to use our minds. Now, in texts like this, his apostles are too. Just as the Lord called us to use our minds, so his apostles are doing it. In this case, the apostle John. There's another piece of application that I'd like to make in this point, and that is this. If John says, do not believe every spirit, which he does, then we can infer from this teaching that part of spiritual maturity is the ability to distinguish what you will and what you won't believe. It's not a sign of maturity to believe anything and everything. It's a sign of immaturity to believe everything and anything. If you would be mature, then spiritual maturity demands boundaries. Boundaries means you keep good things in, but you keep bad things out. Some of you are in the situations that you're in today, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, because you don't have boundaries. You let unhealthy people into your life. You let unhealthy philosophies into your life. But you allow good things to escape because you are not protecting what is good with that boundary and keeping out that which is bad with the same boundary. Gullibility is not maturity. If you are gullible, you are immature. I'm going to say this point blank. Some of you believe anything that you see on the television. Some of you believe anything that is said by somebody who has the, preface, the, the, the title pastor. John says, do not believe every spirit. But we don't only get a negative command. Do not believe every spirit. But secondly, we also get the positive command. Test the spirits. Do not believe every spirit. But secondly, test the spirit. This is, of course, the flip side, the opposite of what John said before. But it's the same vein. Not only are we to not believe everything, but we are to test everything. Namely, John says, spirits. Now, I don't think he's saying spirits as ghosts or something along those lines. No, I, I think John is using this word generally as he used to use the word world in the second chapter. You might remember from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 
that John says that you cannot love the Father and love the world. He was using that word in the generic sense, referring to that system that is anti-God, anti-Christ, and anti-Bible. And so as he did there, I believe he's doing here. I think spirit, as he says here, test the spirits, is the antithesis of God's spirit. God's spirit leads us to Christ. God's spirit leads us to truth. Everything else is a different spirit. John refers to it in verse 3 of chapter 4 when he says it's the spirit of Antichrist. So when he commands us to test the spirits, I think he's simply telling us to test everything. How much? Everything that leads us, compels us, challenges us. Everything that's said, everything that's taught, everything that influences us is to be tested. Is it pro-Christ or is it anti-Christ? Everything must be tested. The Apostle Paul said something similar to this in a couple different places. I'm going to quote them to you here. The first of which is 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Apostle Paul says, we destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You hear the amount of mental engagement that is in the Apostle Paul's mind right now, we don't tolerate anybody's opinion. We don't tolerate anybody's philosophy. If we hear it, we grab it with both hands and we put it at the feet of Jesus. If it will not submit to Jesus, we don't let it in our mind. Another verse I want to share with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 18 through 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verses 18 to 21, Paul says that in this place. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Test how much? Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Paul uses the same word here in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says test everything that John does in 1 John 4.1, when he says, test the spirits, same word, same idea. We are to examine, we are to test, we are to prove everything. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like when a church and Christians are testing everything, proving everything? As John says, testing the spirits. We have to put things, or as John says, spirits, to the test. And to test the spirits means to evaluate what is being taught and what is being said. To test the spirits means to evaluate the end game. In other words, what is the motivation behind what is being said and what is being taught? The reason I bring that to your attention in this way is because that's how God introduces it to us in the Old Testament. I'm not going to go into it in deep detail, but in the Old Testament, there are two warnings when it comes to prophets. 
The first warning is that saints are warned against those whose prophecies do not come to pass. If a person says, this is what the Lord told me to tell you, and that prophecy does not come to pass, that prophet is a false prophet, and they are not to be followed. That much we have, right? But what many of you may not know is that there is a second warning in the Old Testament, and that warning goes like this. That warning says that saints are also warned against prophets who prophesy things that do come to pass, but who lead people after the fulfillment to another God. So not only are we to be warned against people who say things that do not end up being true, but we're also warned against people who say things that are true, but are not leading us toward Jesus. Only the Spirit of God leads to Christ and his glory. If you're a part of a church that's full of smoke and lights, or if you follow a teacher who is gifted with rhetorical flares, but they're not leading you closer to Jesus, then this is an anti-Christ spirit. Because God's spirit always leads people closer to Jesus. Some of you don't like it when I call things out like this, but this is the truth and this is my job. And it's your job to hear me and receive it. You are not here for lightweight Christianity. There's a lot of that down the street. We also see the ramifications of that lightweight Christianity. Every time the world says this, that, or the other thing, they stop, they go online. Are we going to do church? Are we not going to do church? Should we come? Should we go? Listen, we are not allowing the world to dictate to us what we will or will not do. There's too much information for us in the scriptures for us to sell out on matters of conscience. We're to test the spirits. It's also important to note, I think, that what John says is in the imperative mood in the Greek. That means that it's not a suggestion, it's not a hope, and it's not a wish. It's a command. When he says, test the spirits, he's commanding us to do it, to do our job as Christians. Baptized by the Spirit, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are to test the spirits. In a world that has no shortage of fake Christians, religious fanatics, gurus, and cult leaders, to say nothing of agnosticism and atheism, we are to have a sure footing on the rock who is Jesus Christ. Unapologetically, unwaveringly, with confidence, and we are to have our foot there because we are willing to test the spirits to find out whether something is true or false. And this leads us to our next point. Thankfully, John tells us to test the spirits, and he, must, and he tells us what must be passed in regards to that test, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the proof. Secondly, we saw the test, and now we see the proof the proof that the testing was either done successfully or not. 
the proof that the testing was given, has given us clarity of mind and of heart and of soul, the proof that the church at large is indeed distinguished from the world. That is indeed the proof. Listen, verses 4 through 6, you can look at it with your eyes. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And the world listens to them. Uh, Excuse me, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. So let's break this down step by step, verses 4 through 6. First, John says that Christians have spiritual strength. John says that Christians have spiritual strength. Say this with me. I have spiritual strength. Listen, we are possessed by God the Holy Spirit. We will overcome the world. In fact, John says, you have overcome the world. It's so unattractive. When Christians are moping around, beaten by all the things that those in the world are beaten by, we almost act like it's an obligation to these things to respond to them the way the world does. We don't need to. We need to have a view of this life that reflects the truth of God, the Holy Spirit being with us. We have spiritual strength. We will overcome the world. We have overcome the world. This is the guarantee. John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's a fact. That's a reality. The next time you're struggling, remember that the world and the enemy have nothing over you. In fact, to put it plainly, the world has more to be afraid of in you than you do of it. Oh, but we live the other way around. We're so afraid every day of what life is going to bring us. What's the worst case scenario? You die and you go to glory? Honestly, we live like we don't want to go to heaven, like we don't want to be with Jesus. That's why we're beaten down by depression and anxiety and worry and guilt and every other thing, because we don't believe the value that's in the cross, what Jesus did for us and sealed with the spirit of his promise. So yes, I want eternity, but, but please let me have an amazing life now. Let me have the best life now, like Joel Osteen said. Because I don't know what heaven is going to be like, but I want the best stuff right now. Listen, if you find that in your Bible, you're twisting and wrenching and perverting Scripture. Paul said it this way, through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
if you see another verse in your Bible, you're reading a false Bible. Now, I'm not saying we should look for a hard time and stick our nose in it. What I'm saying is that in our relationship with Christ, we should expect trials and tribulations. Chapter 15, verse 20 of John's gospel, Jesus says, the disciple is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. We have to understand and appreciate that we have a spiritual strength that the world sees and the world wants to compromise. Here's my question for you. Will you allow the world to compromise the strength that God has given to you by his spirit? Don't live in cowardice, but courage. Don't live in vice, but in victory. Don't live in fragility, but in faith. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I know, brothers and sisters, I know that we sometimes feel beaten and bruised and broken. I know. We've been there. I've been there. You've been there. I know that we feel used, used up, and used again. I get it. I know that we wonder after pouring out so much of what we have of ourselves into others if we'll have enough left in the tank to get around the next corner. I know. But the truth is we don't and we won't because the strength that we have is not our strength. The strength that we have is the strength of God the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us the strength that we need to do what God is calling us and commanding us to do. So here's my question. Why don't we act like it? Why don't we talk like it? And why don't we live like it? We've allowed the world to give us this image of what strength is like. And we've bought into it. Rather than having our thinking baptized by the word of God so that we think what God thinks, rather than us trying to fit the world's thought into his mind. Second, John says that Christians have spiritual perspective. Not only do we have spiritual strength by God the Holy Spirit, but secondly, we also have spiritual perspective. Look back at the text again, if you would, please. It says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world does what? It listens to them. We are from whom? You see how he's juxtaposing God and the world? He, he's not going to let you walk this middle ground. You're either with God or you're with the world. They're from the world. So when they speak, the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
I want to camp here for a second. And there's a lot of things going on this morning, so I know this message is important. One of you or all of you need to hear this. When the Spirit of God is at work, there's another Spirit at work too. And if you think that's not reality, you don't know Christianity very well yet. In my mind, especially today, this is an important point. They are from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and those who are of God listen to us. We see secular groups employing Christians to their benefit today. And we see Christians employing politicians and politics to their benefit and everything in between. Church, this is a dangerous middle ground. We march under the banner of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To the world, this is foolishness. The Apostle Paul said, we preach Jesus Christ crucified to the Greeks. This is folly. We may find some common ground here or there with the world. But the truth is glaring. And ultimately, we will never get along. We can never be friends with the world. Because of this simple motto in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. The reason this is important, and I think it's important that you and I camp here for a moment, is this. You and I are commanded in the scriptures to not be unevenly yoked. Not mentally, not maritally, not financially, not emotionally, and certainly not spiritually. What I mean by that, of course, is that if you are in Christ, if you are indeed a Christian, and you have been baptized by God the Holy Spirit, then it is contrary to biblical doctrine for you to find someone who plays one of the most important roles of your life, in your life, who is of the world and not of the church. If you want to see a mess in your life, be a believer and go marry an unbeliever. Maybe it works for five minutes, and then you have a kid. And you say, I think we should go to church. Go, I don't think we need to go to church. I want to put them in a private school. Why would we spend seven grand on private school education? We'll go look at the public school, and that'll give you a quick answer. We have decisions to make that are rooted in the main principles of our life, and the main principles in the life of the world and the main principles in the life of a believer are completely antithetical. 
They're of the world, so when the world speaks, they listen. But we're of Christ, so when Christ speaks, we listen. We are not to be unequally yoked. The most important, hear me out here, the most important relationships in your life are to be centered around Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are here this morning and you say, well, now I know. But I can't undo what has been done. God can. Remember that strength topic. You're not strong enough. You're not raising dead people. God is. So pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for your employees or your employer. Pray for those people who are around you playing some of the most important roles in your life that God would sanctify and redeem them for Jesus. Because we've been called to make an impact on our culture. Years ago, a man named Richard Niebuhr wrote a book called Christ and Culture. Popular book. Analyzing the different ways that Christ and culture relate to each other. He concluded that there were basically five options. Now, we're not going to go through each option, but I do want to bring to your attention one option, which boils down basically to this. We as Christians are to live in the world, but not be of the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. The world doesn't listen to us because it isn't in alignment with God's word or God's will. And of course, the opposite is also true. We don't listen to the world because we are in alignment with God's word and God's will. Our churches have a number of spirits, I might say, today that are infiltrating them. Recently, a video went out with the pastor of First Baptist Church of Orlando saying how grateful he was for the homosexual and transgender members in his church who contribute so much to their membership. What in God's name that means, I have no idea. If you are a practicing homosexual or transgender person who attends our church, we're happy that you're here. But you cannot be a member of this body of believers until you repent and forsake that lifestyle. We don't hate you. We don't wish you dead. We wish you redeemed. Now, if an adulterer comes in here and he says, yeah, I cheat on my wife, cheat on my wife a few times, but, you know, boys will be boys, he can't be a member here either. Sin is sin is sin. So I'm not excusing one thing while I focus on another. What I'm saying is this God's word is clear. And when redemption happens, there's a change. We're not, we're not playing this game of, well, I'm redeemed, but I'm a, I'm a gay Christian. What is that? That's not a thing, man. Paul says, that's what you were, but that's not what you are in Christ. Oh, we don't bring the sins from yesterday into today. We fight against them on a daily basis. Now, I know Christian brothers and sisters say, I have same-sex attraction, man. And I know they're genuinely in Christ and they love Jesus. They do not act on their same-sex attraction because it is not pleasing to God. It is not his will for their life. Just because you have a temptation does not mean that's right. This is the most 
ignorant philosophy that's being passed around today. Oh, you feel like a girl? Let's go to the pediatrician and get you on drugs. Oh, you're attracted to that person, the same gen? Oh, act on your feelings. Listen, the worst thing that a sinner can be told who is a sinner in a sinful world being influenced by a million different sinful spirits is act however you feel. Even within our own convention, we see a rotting away of biblical core convictions. Now, I'm happily a Southern Baptist convention, a Southern Baptist pastor. Our church is in the Southern Baptist Convention, and we will not pull from the Southern Baptist Convention if the Southern Baptist Convention gets things right. But we will not participate in this convention or any convention that refuses to call sin, sin. We are not going to negotiate the clarity of God's word so that we can say, oh, I'm in an SBC church. That only means something, church, if it means something. If we forfeit our core beliefs, why are we here? We change the name. Lighthouse, Baptist Church, whatever, I don't care. But the importance is what we are on paper unfolding in reality. And if the churches that are a part of our cooperation are teaching things that are unbiblical and the convention will not say, ah, we love you, bro, but we can't be buddies with you anymore, then you and I have a decision to make. Because we're not going to walk arm in arm with churches who are putting women in pastoral roles, which is unbiblical, and saying that homosexuality is fine and transgenderism is okay. Because it's not. Biblically, it is not. There are churches that believe that in Miami. This is not one of them. And we see it. We see the influence of the spirits infiltrating the church. Most of these influential spirits are, in my opinion, not Christian in nature. They are secular. They are worldly. They are political. But the pastors who adopt them and the churches who entertain them, they want to seem accountable to the world. They want to seem responsible to the world. So they adopt these philosophies and they implore the world to receive them and this new form of Christianity that they've adopted. Can I tell you something that you may already know? The world hates you. And every time you compromise, it hates you more. Be orthodox. That's what difference is today. You want to be different? Be holy. Nobody's holy. Be holy. That's super different. That is the marker of Christianity. They, and they represent a number of different concerns and issues, they're trying to convince us that we can't get Jesus and the gospel right 
if we don't get these other issues right. But as I see it, and as I see it unfolding it in real time, those issues quickly devolve into the only issues. And whereas the conversation begins, you can't get the gospel right until you get this issue right. Quickly, all we ever hear or see is this issue, and there's no more gospel. But the scriptures teach us that Jesus is all in all. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We don't compromise on our convictions to get liked by a world that hates us and is going to hate us even more when they ask us a simple question like, what's your view on abortion? And we say some stupid answer. Well, everybody's got a story. That's not the question. What's your view on homosexuality? Well, I think everybody has a different... No, that's not the question, man. I'm not asking you if that guy's got a struggle or that woman's got a struggle. I'm not asking you if that woman who has had an abortion liked it, disliked it, had no problem with it then, has a major problem with it now. I'm not asking you the details of that. I'm asking you this question. What does the word of God say? I'm not saying it's simple. I'm saying, what does the Bible say about life? And the Bible says in Psalm 139 in Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord knitted me in the womb. Abortion is not a joke. And I don't care how often a woman says it's not a man's issue. The baby didn't get there by itself. That only happened once. So it's not a woman's issue. The terrible tragedy is we have drained men of masculinity today. And no disrespect to women, I've got three strong, beautiful, intelligent women in my house. I love women. But the women are running around in circles screaming, where have all the men gone? Where have all the men gone? I'll tell you where they're at. They're in their mother's basement in their pajamas playing video games. They're not reading. They're not lifting. They're not sharpening one another. They're not convicting one another, encouraging each other to be greater men on Tuesday than they were on Monday. We have taken masculinity and we've made it, we've made it little more than a sponge today. And we've compromised it to such an extent that we've got men swimming against women. And compromising forever records that will never be broken by a woman so that we could seem fair. And when I say we, I don't mean you and me. But this just goes to show you the mentality that's infiltrating the churches is a secular mentality because the largest church in Florida that is an SBC church just vocalize the fact that this is a good thing. John said, 
Test the spirits. Instead of resting in the sufficiency of God's word, instead of resting in the sufficiency of God's God's son's death for sinners like you and me, we're being told that organizations like the educational system and churches need to make concessions and compensate and compromise for so-called historical errors. And if we don't, then we don't, in fact, believe the gospel. I honestly don't care what people think about me. I think maybe you need a dose of that. You need to think more about what Jesus thinks of you and less about what governor or what president or what senator or what teacher. Who cares? Friends, I personally think that this is a spirit that must be tested. And not only that, but I think the volume of the issue is being turned up because it has been tested and found wanting. You hear me? They know they're out of line. The world knows it's out of alignment. So instead of repenting, which it will not do because it's the world, by definition, it refuses to repent, it just gets louder and louder and louder. But this is the influence that many of you and your children are living under. This is why we do what we do. When the world is listening to us or we're listening to the world, there is a compromise that has happened that's contradictory in the most fundamental sense of the word. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles for my second sermon (laughs) to Acts chapter 17, the book of Acts chapter 17. The deacons and I have a lunch fellowship at 1.30, so I've got another hour and at least 20 minutes. <laughs> Acts chapter 17, when you're there, let me know by saying amen. amen. I want you to look with your eyes at verse 10. The apostles are on their missionary journey. They're traveling around the world. They're traveling around where? The world, and the world is not for Christ. The world is against Christ. So remember that as you go through this. Chapter 17, verse 10, it says, The brothers, Luke says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. You know, they send them away by night because everybody wants them dead. You know what I mean? Like you guys are are scared to tell your barista, God bless you. You know what I mean? Paul and, Bar, uh, Paul and Silas, excuse me, were sent away by night to Berea so they wouldn't be killed. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. This was their regular thing. They went first to the Jewish synagogue to preach out of the Old Testament to say, hey, Jesus, the Christ has come. Jesus was the Christ. He's the one. Verse uh, 11 says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures every day to see if the things they were telling them were true. Hey, this is the problem. Berea, we call them the Bereans, 
The Bereans would listen to the sermon or they would hear what was happening in the world and they'd go, let's see what God's word says about that. Let's see what God's, God's word says about redemption. They examined these things to see if they were so. You think it bothered the apostles? Of course not. Why would it bother the apostles? The apostles are not making up stories. They're preaching from God's word. And they go, I'm going to check that. Yeah, check it. Definitely check it. In one sense, Christianity is a faith that should improve the world. Our presence should sanctify and improve the world that's around us. Amen? The world should be better because of our presence. But in another sense, we will always be contrary to the world. There is nothing that we can ever say or do that would lead us to favor with the world. The world hates Jesus. The world killed Jesus. It's not going to be different. It's doing the same thing to us today, and it will continue to happen. We saw it over the pandemic. They're going to put their hands around the throat of the churches as quickly as they possibly can. Now, fortunately, we live in Florida. But the rest of the world is in a mess. I don't want to get political, but I'm going to. You see what's happening in Canada. For what? When it comes to human policy, when it comes to human philosophy, the payment is always worse than the offense. Let me ask you a question. Is your thought and your life in alignment with God, in the word of God, in the will of God? Or do you hear things that come down the pike from the world, school, family members that aren't Christians work and go, oh, that, that sounds kind of interesting, without testing the spirits. Now is the time to decide. If you haven't already, now is the time to decide where you stand on these issues. There is no room for those who would vacillate between two philosophies. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua once said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <laughs>